Amen. Amen indeed. Uh, welcome, friends. For those of you who are new to our congregation, if you're here for the first time or for the first time in a long time, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church. And at the end of our service, I'd love to meet you, especially uh, if we've never met before. And if you're joining us from YouTube, from Facebook, from newlife.nyc, uh, it is a joy to have you worship uh, with us this day. We are in a series focusing on the Holy Spirit, and we've touched on a lot of different angles on how to understand what it means to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit and to the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to focus on what it means to live in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. And that's really important because the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to give us an encounter here and there. It's very easy for people to just be satisfied with an encounter with the Holy Spirit here or there. But the Holy Spirit wants us not just to have an encounter. The Holy Spirit wants us to live in the Spirit. Amen. And so the hope for our time today is that something would come alive in you. That you would see really and catch a vision of what it means to live in the Spirit. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. You can follow along on the screen but we're looking at a few verses, four in particular, verses five through eight. And I'm going to hang a lot of my thoughts on those four verses and a few verses before that. But uh, Romans uh, eight, verses five through eight, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind is governed by the flesh. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray together. Lord, breathe on us now through the power of your Spirit and teach us what it means to live in accordance with the Spirit, to live in the Spirit, not just to have a moment here or there in which we are encountering the Spirit, but what does it mean to live in the Spirit? May that be our reality this day. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said... Amen. Whenever I watch TV, I sit down on the couch and I'm always looking for, you know, a good movie to watch. And inevitably, whenever I see a movie that I love watching, I stop whatever I'm doing and I watch it. And one of the movies that I've loved for a number of years is The Matrix. The Matrix. Yes, The Matrix. Uh, it came out in 1999, 23 years ago. How is that possible? 23 years ago, this movie came out. And it's one of the more iconic movies of our generation and the storyline is simply this for those who are uninitiated uh, humanity is unknowingly trapped inside of a simulated uh, reality called the matrix which is uh, which intelligent machines have created to distract human beings while using their bodies as an energy source and what humanity is longing for is someone who is going to rescue them from the matrix and bring them really into the real world. And in one of the most iconic 
moments in the movie, which has had ripple effects in our culture, Neil, this Messiah kind of figure in this film, is, is, is offered two pills by a guy named Morpheus. There's this red pill, and there is this blue pill. The red pill and the blue pill. He's, he's offered two ways of being. The red pill, if he was to take that, would get him out of the matrix into the real world. But the blue pill would have him remain in the matrix, which is really a life of bondage, a life of slavery. The red pill would be the life of abundance, a life of freedom. The blue pill would keep him in his bondage. And he goes on to choose the red pill. He starts kicking and flipping. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Watch, watch it later today. But when I think about the two options before Neo in the matrix, I think this is what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8 where Paul is putting before us two options of being alive, two options of living in this world. He's giving us the blue pill and the red pill, but in our case, Paul is saying there are two ways of living in the world, one that is according to the flesh and one that is according to the spirit. We can live according to the flesh or we can live according to the spirit. And that really are, are the options before us, brothers and sisters, to live in the flesh or to live in the spirit. And every single day we have two options before us. In our marriages, we can live in the flesh or we can live in the spirit. With our finances, we can live in the flesh or we can live in the spirit. When conflict comes, we can live in the flesh, amen, or we can live in the spirit. On social media, you can live in the flesh. Or you can live in the spirit. Paul says, choose which way you will go. Flesh or spirit. And so Paul, as he's unpacking this idea of flesh and spirit, he begins to talk about beautiful theology to contextualize what he means by flesh and spirit. At the beginning of Romans chapter 8, we find a couple of words that Paul begins with that are just so beautiful. That should be, it should resonate at the deepest part of our soul, that when we hear the word, we should jump for joy because of the good news. At the beginning of Romans 8, Paul says, there is therefore now, hear the words, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's good. That should get us to jump for joy. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when Paul says those words, no condemnation, this is what he's getting at. He's saying that the verdict on you, you already know what it's going to be. You don't have to wait until the end of human history. You don't have to wait until you die. You can know right now what the verdict on your life is because you are in Jesus Christ. No condemnation. When Paul says no condemnation, he's saying you don't have to live in fear or uncertainty about what God thinks about you. Why? Because God has already made up his mind about you. There's no condemnation. I wish all of us would just get up and, and do that because... This is the best news in the world. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And whether you feel it or not, this is true. And this is to lead us into freedom out of our bondage. 
It reminds me, in 2011, the New York Times wrote an article about a man from the Bronx named Robert Salzman. And after serving a number, a number of years in prison, he was released. And one day, he's on the D train. And as he's on the D train, there was a film director in the same subway car. And the film director was looking for someone who was going to play an ex-convict in one of his next films. And so he sees this guy, Robert, and he goes, that guy looks like an ex-convict. <laughs> I should ask him if he'd be willing to be in my film. And so he goes up to the guy and says, I'm looking for an ex-convict. The guy says, you found the right guy. I, 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 I'm the guy. And so he has him uh, trying to play a role in a Long Island prison facility. And as they're acting, they take breaks, and part of the role was Robert was going to be in a jail cell. Well, what happened was Robert took a nap in the jail cell. And when he woke up, he woke up believing that he was back in jail. It was so, the experience was so traumatic for him that when he woke up, he thought he was back in jail. And then after a few moments, he realized that this was not his reality. And it says these words, he realized that he was not confined anymore and he was overwhelmed that he could simply walk out the door. When I think about Romans 8, this is what God is saying. You might not feel free, but in Christ, you are free. You might not feel forgiven, but in Christ you are forgiven. You might not feel saved, amen, but in Christ Jesus you are saved. And there is now no condemnation. That's how Paul begins this chapter. It's glorious, it's beautiful, but then he continues. Paul says there's no condemnation, and then he starts talking about the law. He starts talking about the law. He says that in Christ Jesus... Christ condemns sin. That is, he strips sin of its condemning power over us. Christ condemns sin means that he strips sin of its condemning power over us. And so we have, because of that, a new status, a new identity, a new standing in the world. But this new status, this new identity, this new standing is to lead us somewhere. It's to produce something inside of us. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying that Christ died not only that the law, the demands of the law would be fulfilled for us. Christ died and sent us the Holy Spirit that the law would be fulfilled through us. Christ dies for us so that the law can be fulfilled for us. The Holy Spirit is given to us so that the law can be fulfilled through us. The question is, what does it mean to fulfill the law? I'm glad you asked. Because Romans 13 makes it very clear what it means to fulfill the law. Romans 13 says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The Holy Spirit is given to us to give expression to the law of love. That we would give expression to what Christ has done for us. We would give expression to that in the world. And Paul says... This is what we are invited into because we are now in the realm of the Spirit 
But there is a challenge before us. Because even though in Christ we're in the realm of the Spirit, we still got to deal with this thing called the flesh. That there's always an opportunity for us to live according to the flesh. Flesh or spirit. Now when Paul says flesh, what does he, what does he mean? Well, he's not talking about the muscular tissue that covers our skeleton. That's the first thing he's not saying. Paul is not talking about necessarily our bodily appetites. Paul is not saying equating flesh with our body. Paul is not saying that our body is bad. In lots of Christian faith, for 2,000 years, Christians have seen the body as bad and the spirit as good. And we have to do everything we can to kind of deal with the cravings of our bodies so that we can free the spirit. And there's some truth there, but Paul is not saying that our bodies equate our flesh. This is not a momentary thing. This is not a temptation thing here or there. To live according to the flesh is to live according to our fallen, egocentric human nature. The flesh is our fallen, egocentric human nature. The flesh is self-referential. That's just a fancy way of saying everything revolves around me. I'm the center of it all. There's a prayer for the flesh. The flesh prays a prayer. The flesh, the prayer of the flesh is, my kingdom come, my will be done. That's the prayer of the flesh. And Paul lets us know that this is the way that often keeps us from living in accordance with the Spirit. Now, when we usually think about the flesh, there are images, profiles of people that come to mind. We think of the drug addict. We go, that person's in the flesh. We think of uh, the gambler. We go, oh, that person's in the flesh. We think of the person who might be sexually promiscuous. And we go, oh, that person's in the flesh. And on some level, those might describe people in the flesh. But listen to this. You can live your life never taking a drug and still be in the flesh. You can never take a bus ride to Atlantic City. Come on, somebody. And still be in the flesh. <laughs> you can never have sex your entire life and still be in the flesh. You can go to church all your life and still be in the flesh. The, the flesh is the part of our humanity that takes center stage. The part of our humanity when in conflict takes center stage. The part of our humanity that is driven by our appetites driven by our desires, driven by what I want in the moment, right this moment. And Paul gives language to the flesh. In Galatians 5, he, he begins to talk about the ways of the flesh, and he gives this list. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. He says there's sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I like he added that. He's like, there's more to the list, but this, I, this is all the time I have and the parchment paper I have. There's just more here. 
What I love about this list here, first of all, there's not much to love about it. It's just like, oh, no. But what I appreciate about what Paul does in this list is he combines sins that are readily observable with the eye with things that we cannot see with the eye. When you see a drunk person just stammering or stumbling across, we go, oh, that's the flesh. That's the guy who's in the flesh. Drunkenness. That's the guy who's in the flesh. But you know what we cannot see? Selfish ambition. That we could do a lot of things for God and a lot of things for others, but it is not driven by love. It's driven by selfish ambition. We could carry jealousy and no one knows it. You see someone with a new car and on the outside you're going, how wonderful. And the inside you're going, and Paul says, whatever you can't see and whatever you can see, it's in the same category here. That's important because Christians have a way of creating hierarchies of sin. We have our lists of what's really bad and what's not so bad. For a lot of people, like sexual morality, oh, that's on top of the list. And then other people, uh, you know, envy, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. We're, we're okay. But Paul says, we're going to lump it all together. Because all this is the way of the flesh. And so Paul says, this is the way of the flesh, which is driven by our ego, driven by a self-referential, self-centered way of being in the world. And this is hostile to God. Paul says, this is not the pill you want to be taking. This leads to death. But there's something that leads to life, the way of the Spirit. And now Paul talks about living in accordance with the Spirit. Now, what does it mean to be in the Spirit? Many of us believe that to be in the Spirit means that we got to feel the goosebumps. And how do I know I'm in the Spirit? Well, I feel it. I, I feel like I'm in the Spirit right now. God is, God is moving. I feel the God bumps all on me right now. But I want to tell you something. You can get a lot of goosebumps and it not be God. Come on, somebody. Talk to me. I, you, you can feel all sorts of way. And God's like, that ain't me. That's you. <laughs> to be in the Spirit doesn't mean that we're always hearing God very clearly on everything. What was that, Lord? Okay, I'll say that. that that's not what it means to be living in the Spirit. To live in the Spirit doesn't mean that we are super spiritual. Some of us are more spiritual than God. I want to tell you, we're just more spiritual. And God's like, I didn't ask you to be all that spiritual. Eat your meal. I mean, eat your food, all right? I, I put that before. Eat the food. Dance at the party, all right? Just have a good time. Some of you are too more spiritual than God is. To be in the Spirit is not about being super spiritual. I want to give you a definition of what it means to be in the Spirit. You might not get a lot of goosebumps, but I'm going to tell you this is right. This is what it means to be in the Spirit. To be in the Spirit is about a life of ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. I told you you weren't going to feel the goosebumps. What does it mean to live in the Spirit? To have a life of ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. That's when you know you're living in the Spirit. To be in the Spirit is a way of life that's infused by the love of God. Infused by a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Infused by a willingness and openness to be changed by God. Those who refuse to change 
are those who are not living in accordance with the Spirit. Those who open themselves up to the change that God wants to produce are those who are living in the Spirit. And here's the challenge. Paul says, in Christ, you are now in the realm of the Holy Spirit. You have a new home, which is called life in the Holy Spirit. But here's the challenge. We have life in a new home, but we still have the keys to the old home called the flesh. And it's very easy to go back home and open those, key, open those doors and live within that space. What Paul is saying is to live in the spirit is to live into that new reality and to lose the keys to the flesh, the house of the flesh. And the question is, how do we do this? How do we live in accordance to the Spirit? And what Paul gets at now is the connection. He says there's one thing that either keeps us either in the realm of the Spirit or the realm of the flesh, the home of the Spirit or the home of the flesh. And Paul makes a connection. It has to do with our minds. It has to do with what we fix our attention on. Let me ask you, what have you fixed your attention on this past week? What has governed, what has dominated your thinking this week? What has taken, where has your attention gone this week? It's an important question because whatever we behold, we inevitably become. Watch a lot of cable news, which their business model is about the production of anxiety. You should not be surprised if your life is marked by anxiety if all you're doing is watching cable news. Been on social media nonstop. We should not. Social media, one of the currency of social media is it produces comparison. Not feeling content, it might be because our minds have been so fixed on what everyone else is doing. And so what Paul gets at is our minds must be set on the things of the Spirit if we are going to live in the Spirit. And what Paul is getting at here is what scientists are now recently discovering and offering greater language for. Theology has known what science is just catching up to. That the more we fix our minds on something, the greater that expands in our lives. Science calls this neuroplasticity. There's a friend of mine who, who, who wrote a book called Being with God, and he offers some helpful, a guy named A.J. Sherrill, he, he offers some helpful words to explain this, where he says that neuroplasticity is the ability to change your brain structure based on the pathways you create through specific and repetitive actions which create and strengthen neural connections. Neuroplasticity teaches us that whatever we think about the most will grow. This applies to both positive and negative mental changes. For example, the more I think about and try to cultivate likes on social media, the more my mind will be fixed on that. It's this never-ending cycle. 
Which reminds me, when, when I, there was a time where I took a four-month just fast from all internet, all the stuff there, four months, specifically on social media, and it took me about three days to no longer have my mind dominated by social media. The first day, after this was on my sabbatical, the first day I thought, is anyone still thinking about me? I just wondered, I mean, did anyone forget who I am or how I look or anything like that? By the second day, that was still in my, so by day number three, because I wasn't posting anything, therefore needing to just reinforce my own sense of self by people liking it, there was no desire for it. I had just moved on. Because my mind was set now on something different. The more you engage in something, the more you need it. Whether we're talking about pornography, whether we're talking about social media, whether we're talking about food, whether we're talking about workaholism, the, the, the more I engage it, the more I need it. And so, in light of this neuroplasticity language, Romans 8, 5 through 8, can sound something like this. Those who live or act repetitively in ways that strengthen neural pathways, according to the flesh, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live or act repetitively in ways that strengthen neural pathways, in, in accordance with the Spirit, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed... What happens through repetition by the flesh is death, but the mind governed, what happens through repetition by the spirit, is life and peace. And so the more we focus our minds on the things of the flesh, the more we live in the flesh. The more we focus our minds on the things of the spirit, has us live in the spirit. And Paul says the way to live in the spirit is to understand what the Holy Spirit desires. What does the Holy Spirit desire? That's the question. God has desires for you. God has dreams for you. What does the Holy Spirit desire? Well, Paul doesn't say it outright in Romans chapter 8, but we get a clear sense as what, what the Holy Spirit desires in Galatians 5, that same verse where I talked about the works of the flesh, because Paul in that chapter talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit desire for your life and mine? that we would produce fruit. But the fruit that the Spirit produces in a person's life, this is what God desires for you, is love, joy, peace, patience, help us, Lord, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so I want you to look at this list. What, does, what do you sense the Holy Spirit desires for you today? Now, I know what you're going to say, all of it. Yeah, I, I understand, all of it. I know, I know. But is there one thing today that you're going, that's the one? The Spirit, I know the Spirit desires this in my life today. Maybe it's joy because you've, you've taken happiness as a shortcut and God wants to produce joy. Maybe it is patience or kindness or faithfulness, whatever it is. But what does the Holy Spirit desire for you today? And as you hold on to that, the question then becomes, how do we live in this reality? And very simply, it means that we need to create new habits. 
I want to mention three things for us here. How, how do we live in the Spirit? How do we live in accordance with the Spirit? Through cultivating three habits. The first is through repeated acts of prayer. Through repeated acts of prayer. As a pastor, I often have a conversation with God. I have recognized I've been preaching at New Life Fellowship for 14 years. I've been preaching the gospel for 23 years. And at the end of most of my sermons, there is often one point of application. And I said, Lord, I, I just feel like this is getting old, Lord. And, and, but, I, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, no, th this isn't getting old. You should do this for the rest of your life. That one of the primary points of application for every sermon I preach is we need to pray more. That our lives are to be grounded and rooted in God in prayer. That the fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of prayer. That's where the fruit of the Spirit is cultivated. The fruit of the Spirit doesn't just happen overnight. The gifts of the Spirit happen overnight. Gifts are given, but fruit is grown. And never mistake that. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts, not because you've earned it. It wouldn't make it a gift. The Spirit gives you a gift because the Spirit is good. But the Spirit grows fruit in us. And that does not happen overnight. It happens as we give ourselves to prayer. And I'm not just talking about praying for our food at dinner time. I'm not talking about praying for us to catch the train so that you don't get fired. I'm not talking about the prayers. Lord, I hope I don't get COVID. Uh, good prayers, good prayers. But I'm talking about a kind of prayer life that roots you in God. A kind of prayer life that is sustained by cultivating presence with God. The kind of prayer life that says contemplatively and reflectively, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. And as we give ourselves to extended times of prayer, of being with God, of communicating to God what's happening in our souls and listening for the voice of God, the Holy Spirit begins to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves, which is a good definition of grace. God doing in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And I know I'm living in the Spirit when it emerges out of prayer because it changes the way I live in the world. For example, when I'm driving, I know when I'm in the flesh. And I know when I'm in the Spirit. Just this past week, I was driving, and I was, I, I, forgive me, Lord, I was going above the, the, the speed limit, and, and, and I, was, you know, I was doing my thing. And, 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 you know, sometimes you're going fast, but then there's someone behind you that wants to go even faster. And so I'm driving, and the person behind me uh, uh, flashes their lights behind me, meaning get out of the way. When I'm in the flesh, and I was in the flesh, I was in the flesh, what I do in that moment is I slow down. I hit that brake, boom. And then I, I know they can't see me, but I'm looking at them in the mirror, like, you know, wait, 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 I'm in the flesh, I'm in the flesh. But when I'm in the spirit, 
And I remember this week as I'm driving, I'm preaching, I'm being in the spirit. And so, and so Lord, convict me, Lord. You know, I'm driving, someone flashed behind me. And I very gently hit my signal, went over to the other side, Lord, my, and waved as they drove by. Just, just, just wave. Bless them, Lord. Just bless them. Just bless them. <laughs> they might be late for a job interview. Bless them, Lord. They might be going to the house. Bless them, Lord. Just bless them. But that came out of prayer, of being rooted in God, left to my own devices. And don't look at me like that. You too. <laughs> you have no problem being in the flesh. On social media, I know when I'm in the flesh and I'm in the spirit. I get, I, I, get, I get lots of words of affirmation on social media, all the stuff there. And then I get some really nasty stuff as well. And whenever I'm in the flesh and some random person who I've never met before says something just mean, when I'm in the flesh and the Holy Spirit has used my wife Rosie in the past to speak to me about this, and I can't do this anymore. But if someone says something nasty, the other day someone said to me, if you had mastery of the English language, you would say blah, blah, blah. And, and I just, oh, the flesh, ooh, I, ooh. And I, in the past, what I would do is I would, especially like on Twitter, I would highlight what they said. I would say something really sarcastic and then invite all my followers, just pounce on this person in the name of Jesus. You know, just get them. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> Pastors can get in the flesh, all right? And yet the other day someone says something just, just mean, and I've done two things. Sometimes I just mute them so they don't have the satisfaction of knowing that I read the comment. Or sometimes I just respond with, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And when I do that, it feels like I'm, no lo I'm not participating in the flesh. I, I, I'm not going to stoop down to the flesh. I, I'm, I'm going to orient my way according to, to the Spirit. And so how do we do this? It, this is not going to happen through happenstance. It's going to happen in prayer. Because in prayer, the Holy Spirit begins to form our lives, which leads to repeated acts of love. How do we live in the Spirit? Through repeated acts of love. Love is oriented outward. The flesh is oriented inward towards me. I'm the center of it. It's my money. It's my time. It's my energy. That's the flesh. And the Spirit says, this time has been given to me by God. This money has been given to me by God for the blessing of others and the glory of God. That's the Spirit. But it happens through repeated acts of love. It happens as we go out of our way to serve one another, to be present to one another, to listen to one another. When our lives are given these repeated acts of love towards others, we find ourselves living in the Spirit. This is why whenever I pray, I end my prayers every single time with a particular prayer request to the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to copy and paste this prayer because it's a prayer that comes right from the heart of the scriptures. Whenever I have a time with God, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, I end my time by saying, now Lord, help me 
to love you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And help me to love my neighbor with my heart, soul, mind, and strength as myself, beginning with my first neighbor, those in my home. I pray that every time I pray. That's my closing prayer, and I want to commend it to you. Because if prayer is not producing love in us, we're not doing it the right way. Prayer is not simply about getting what I want to get from God. Prayer is opening myself to what God wants to get in me, which is love. And so it's through repeated acts of love. How can we be other-oriented? What does it mean for us to mark our lives by serving others? Love, love. Treating others with dignity, love, love. Forgiving, love, love. Pouring out grace and mercy, love. But lastly comes through repeated acts of confession. How do we live in the Spirit? Through repeated acts of confession. To be in the Spirit doesn't mean we're going to do everything right. To be in the Spirit doesn't mean that we're going to live perfectly. But to be in the Spirit means that we will live honestly. And this might be the greatest witness that the church has to engage the world. I believe deeply in my soul that one of the greatest gifts that the church has is the habit and practice of confession. The world does so many things better than the church. But if there's one place where the church should excel way better than the world, it's in confession. Confession of sin. That's why we confessed our sins together and praying out loud together today. Why? Because when we confess our sins, there's something about our witness in the world. Which is why church leaders and churches and denominations and institutions that, not, that cannot confess sin actually hurt our witness for Christ. But the more we're able to confess our sins, whether individually, interpersonally, institutionally, our witness for Christ is heightened. And the world says, I'll I'll follow those Christians because their lives are marked by confession. Prayer, love, confession. And as we cultivate these habits, Sometimes it also means that we have to get our minds off of certain things. For some of us, we might need to fast cable television. For some of us, we might need to fast social media. For some of us, we might need to say no to a few things so that we can say yes to setting our minds on the Spirit. And as we do this, the Lord says, and Paul says in this letter, that we will find ourselves living in accordance with the Spirit. Let me close with this. The reason we are invited to fix our attention on God, we can have the worship team come forward, is not to get God's attention. It's not to get God's love, earn it. We set our minds on the things of God always as a response to God. Because God has always had his mind set on you. There is not a moment that goes by when God is not thinking about you. There is not a moment that goes by where God is not paying full attention to you. 
There's not a moment that goes by in the world, in our lives, where God is not lovingly present to you. We fix our minds on God because God has always had God's mind fixed on us. I love how Soren Kierkegaard says it. One of my favorite quotes that I come to over and over. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said, When we wake up in the morning and turn our souls towards you, God, you were there first. You have loved us first. If I rise at dawn at the same time, turn my soul toward you in prayer, you are there ahead of me. You have loved me first. When I withdraw from the distractions of the day and turn my soul toward you, you are there first and thus forever. We set our minds on God very simply because God has set his mind on us. God loves you with an everlasting love and invites us to fix our attention and our affections on this God whose attention and affections are always coming to you. May we live this day in the realm of the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to spend our lives in the realm of the flesh. And as a result, find our lives marked by fear and anxiety and death. And, but Lord, you long to produce life in us. Would the Holy Spirit do a work in our souls that we would live in the Spirit? That our attention and our affections, that our ears would be attuned to you. And may we live in the fullness of what comes when we live in this way. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives, in our church, in this nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, let's all stand let's sing together.
and desires, living a life in which you find yourself trapped. And the Lord wants to set us free, but we are set free not through willpower. We're set free not just by simply trying harder. We're set free by allowing ourselves to live in the goodness of God. And that's where the Holy Spirit begins to do some work deep down in our souls that our willpower cannot access. You know, there's certain places that our willpower cannot access. Only the Spirit of God can do that. And so I just want to, if we can just sing that chorus one more time, just your goodness is running after. And know that God's goodness is running after you today. His love is running after you today. His grace is running after you today. And He wants you to live in that space. Can we just sing that, that chorus one time? And let's sing that out loud. Worship team, lead us in that. 
surrendered your life to Jesus Christ every Sunday I offer an opportunity for you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and I mean that very surrender everything to him not adding Jesus as an accessory to your life you're invited to surrender everything of your life to Christ's love because it is only his love that will truly set you free and maybe you've been trying to set yourself free in your own way and it's not working. But God's love can set you free. And whether you, if you want to say yes to Christ and follow him or begin the journey, maybe you still have lots of questions, but you want to take the next step, our prayer team is here. We'd love to pray for you for that or for whatever need you have. Maybe you're watching online or maybe in this room and you want to say yes to Christ and take the next step. You can simply text the phrase, Yes to Jesus. It's that number on the screen, 718-424-0122. We'll have a sermon discussion time at the end. For those of you watching online, if there's conversation you want to have with others, you can feel free to do that. One of our pastors will be hosting that space. But I want to close our just time with, with blessing. Let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And just a reminder that in this room here at 1 o'clock, uh, we have a gathering for parents of, of teenagers and, and tweens, tweens and teens. And I have a 13-year-old, and so I'll be here at 1 o'clock, and I hope just to connect with, with some of you parents who are in a similar stage of life just for some connection. We'll do that from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock, just a time of connection. And so we'll be meeting in here. So if you need to leave and come right back, feel free to do so. But don't run out of here if you sense God wants you to come forth for prayer we want to serve you we want to bless you we want to pray for you in the name of Jesus but with your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters sons and daughters of the living God may the Lord bless you and keep you make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace and may you walk out of this gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit living in the Spirit living for the glory of Jesus Christ. 
May God give you everything you need. May God provide for your needs. May God visit you in special ways this week. May you sense the goodness of God chasing after you this week and all the days of your life. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the life-giving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.